So Money episode 292, Alex Jameson. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Creating opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However, it can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at FreshBooks couldn't agree more. FreshBooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. FreshBooks lets you know instantly when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account. Get ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the how did you hear about us section. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnish, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and, and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes a lot in common with who you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was 
life altering, but of course, it's for an amazing, tremendous, and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning, and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the writer that we're writing for, uh, who's writing in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. to today's guest. She is a nutrition and life coach who's also the co-creator of the 2004 Oscar-nominated documentary that shook up the fast food nation. You know it. It's called Super Size Me. Alexandra, or Alex Jameson, is also a best-selling author of a number one book on Amazon out earlier this year entitled Women, Food, and Desire. Embrace your cravings, make peace with food, reclaim your body. Alex has been featured in top news outlets and publications across the country, including The Today Show, Oprah, Dr. Oz, CNN, and countless others. Alex also delivers inspirational speeches and workshops around the globe. She was named Elle Magazine's coach for January 2015. She's also launched her own podcast called The Crave Cast. It debuted number one on iTunes in the alternative health category. And on the show, she talks about new insights into cravings and desires and how to achieve happiness and well-being that we all strive for. Some takeaways from our conversation include how our personal weight attributes to self-worth, which then attributes to net worth, how a personal investment in herself yielded a 600% return, and that time she was on Oprah, which I had to ask her about, but why it was probably the worst professional day for Oprah. Yikes. Here is Alex Jameson. Alex Jameson, welcome to So Money, my favorite character from Super Size Me. Never thought I'd have the opportunity to connect with you, but here we are. Welcome to So Money. Thank you. It's so fun to be here with you. Let's go back to Super Size Me for a little bit, because that was sort of what put you out there on the map in some ways. Um, what was that experience like for you in terms of the aftermath? It got, it, you, I mean, that, that documentary, I would say, single-handedly changed some, the way that McDonald's handles a lot of its menu. Um, how did it feel to be part of something that, that really had such a global impact? It was, it was so unexpected. It was such lightning in a bottle, perfect timing, perfect subject. And Morgan and I, you know, we were, we were dating at the time. We're now divorced and co-parenting a wonderful little boy. Um, but you know, he was a budding filmmaker and I was a new healthy chef and health coach. So it was really just combining our loves together. We had no idea if anyone was ever going to see this movie. And really, you thought that, you know, we, we had the best of intentions. It was Morgan's first feature length documentary that he directed and produced. 
And I had never worked in film before. So, you know, you have big, big dreams and you hope they come true. And we, we really had no idea how big, I mean, it was a global phenomena. We, we went to over 25 countries the year it, it premiered. Amazing. And so after that, I can only assume there were so many opportunities coming your way. What was the next step for you? What did you feel? What were you gravitating most towards? I was so excited when I was approached by a publisher immediately when, when the film was getting some news because I had always wanted to write a book and I never thought it was going to happen so soon. Um, so just the, the opportunity to write a book, put all my recipes in, you know, I'm only a couple of years out of culinary school and here I get this chance to write a real book. That was fantastic. And then of course, going on Oprah, that's like everyone's dream. Well, so I've had a few guests now who've been on Oprah. And so I have to ask what was the, I mean, you have these dreams of being on Oprah and then you're on Oprah. Were the, were the expectations met or were there even some things that you didn't even think would happen that happened? How did you feel? What, what did, what was Oprah like? Did, you know, tell me, tell, give me some, some of the goods. Give me something. So I have to say it was probably the hardest day of Oprah's professional life. It was kind of the worst day to be on her show. Oh no, why? Um, it was the day she looked in the camera and talked about the author of A Million Little Pieces and oh. how he had lied and how bad she felt and how she was now changing how she did books. And it was a really emotionally tense day. So we didn't like it to hang out with her or anything. Usually we heard that she would come to the green room and say hello. And I think it was just a really rough day for her. So I can't blame her, but I was a little Mm. disappointed. Did you feel that in the interview as well? She's, she's an amazing professional. You know, she is she is on when the camera's on. She immediately directed her attention to us and the topic at hand. So I think it was a really valuable show. Um, I just, gosh, I mean, I can't imagine getting on TV in front of millions of people and having to go from that crestfallen emotional mm-hmm. announcement and then go, okay, and now we're going to talk about the minimum wage yeah. and fast food. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I remember that episode. Um, guess everyone has their own unique experience with Oprah. That's crazy. But you were on the show and I'm sure that had its ripple effects. Absolutely. It did. We, <laughs> we got to be on a, a lot of shows and talk about food and health and our passions and, and have an impact. And that's, that's a dream come true right there. And something that I learned about you when we met, we, you and I met at a, a, a sort of a dinner party in New York where uh, I had the privilege of being there, being invited, getting to meet with you and some other amazing women. And one of the things that you shared with us was that you had this public sort of backlash because you were on the record as a vegan and then decided I don't want to be vegan anymore. And that was a very difficult time for you because it really, um, you were bullied online, offline. And so that kind of was the impetus perhaps of some of your later work. And so can you take me back to that time period for just a second and share kind of what the lessons learned were and how you transitioned to now what you're doing today with, with food and empowerment Mm-hmm. And women. Yeah. So, you know, I was vegan for over a decade. And the, the first book that I wrote after Super Size Me about how I helped Morgan heal his body after eating nothing but McDonald's for a month, that was all vegan recipes. And then two more vegan cookbooks. And I, 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 I like to say I was professionally vegan for 11 years. And in my mid 30s, after having my son and going through the, you know, the stress, 
and the ups and downs of now getting separated and divorced and single parenting and all this. And my body just really started to fall apart. You know, this, this diet that had served me so well was now not working anymore. And my hormones were tanking. I was exhausted and depleted and severely anemic. And I started craving meat. This was bad. Mm. <laughs> this, wow. was not, this was not good what for my... What does it feel like to crave meat? How did you know you were craving meat? Um, well, because I had, you know, I had grown up an omnivore, uh, so I remembered what it tasted like and how it felt in my body. Um, I think that's one of the one of the things I'm really happy to have grown up with was parents who really put a lot of emphasis on healthy food, even though I totally rebelled against it for ten years. <laughs> but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I I knew that food impacted health and I would go out to restaurants with friends while I was vegan and I would see and, you know, smell the salmon or the burger or the steak that other people were eating. My mouth would just start salivating like I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And I tried everything in the vegan framework to fix the health problems that were newly developing and nothing was working. I thought I, you know, if I can't allow myself the same uh, compassion to listen to my body. Like I teach my health coaching clients, you know, be kind to your body, listen to what she's saying, but I wasn't allowing myself to do the same. So I secretly started eating meat because I was afraid to do it publicly. And I really, I I was in hiding for a a couple of years. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, talked with a couple of girlfriends of mine who were also publicly vegan, you know, websites and blogs, et cetera. And they said, what about your brand? And I said, well, what about my body? I'm like falling apart here and nothing's working. So when I finally started eating animal protein again, my hormones turned around, my anemia turned around and everything got better. Did you consult with doctors? Obviously you did, but what did they have to say as well with your transition? Sure. It it depended on who you asked. (laughs) You know, there's There are some doctors out there that I first spoke with who are more invested in the vegan lifestyle um, and would say, stick with it, you know, try this, try that. And there were, there was another doctor who was a more functional medicine doctor and he said, everyone's different. There's something called bio-individuality where every human body needs something different and not everyone can thrive on the same diet. But what's challenging for us is being able to listen to our own bodies and our own needs and find what works for us because food is so personal. There's such a moral weight put on it, especially when you are vegan. And and now I see why, because uh, it's hard for people to listen to their own truth, their own body, because there is so much um moral language around it. And, and like you said, when I came out, came out of the vegan closet, uh, you know, I was, I was really flamed online, thousands of comments. I mean, death threat emails. I lost actual friends. Um, it was, it was really challenging (gasps) over how we, what we choose to put in our mouths. It's crazy. Crazy, yeah. crazy. So your new book is called Women, Food, and Desire. Also, congratulations on your podcast, The Crave Cast. Uh, you. So much important work that you're putting out there. When you were writing Women, Food, and Desire, uh, and the subtitle, by the way, is Embrace Your Cravings, Make Peace with Food, Reclaim Your Body. Of those three steps, what's the most important or what's the most that comes up often? I find that, you know, cravings we struggle with, but I find that whole p- making peace with food mm-hmm. is something that 
I even personally can relate to. It's like you eat, uh, you might, especially now with Thanksgiving coming up, be like you're going to stuff your mouth, stuff your face, and then as soon as I, as soon as I'm done with that, what do I feel? What's the first emotion? Guilt. Right. Right. Oh, we. I, I have people come to me and they say I, I'm an emotional eater, and there's shame in their voice. And I say, sweetheart, we're all emotional eaters. Humans are emotional creatures. You can't take the emotion out of food. Even the big bulky guy who goes to CrossFit and he's supposedly like <laughs> eat, eating for fuel. Yeah. There's an emotional component to that. There's a reason why he's doing it that way. So taking the shame and judgment out of food, it, you know, reconnecting with it and just having it be food and having it be enjoyable and not making it be your only form of therapy or escape. That is that's a lot of work for a lot of us. And this book, what I like is that while it's about your health and it's about living a healthy lifestyle, being empowered, it's psychological more than anything. It's not about you know, recipes and dieting. It's the, the, that at the end of the day, to have a healthy relationship with food, it's about your mindset. So what would be one important mindset shift that you find many, in this case, women need to make and men perhaps, uh, in order to start making progress, start being more uh, in control and empowered by their food decisions? Well, this is a little controversial, but I'm going to go straight for the big one, which is in in this culture, in, in the Western world, um, because of how we're raised, the, the religious and the media influences that we have, sex is very dangerous. It's, it's coded as dangerous for women from a very young age. So food becomes our safe sex. It becomes our, one of our only easy sources of pleasure. So in the book, skip directly to chapter eight for the juicy, juicy, um, I really go into the relationship between, um, you know, our comfort with our own sexuality and our desires for food and how those two play together and how you can begin to take away some of the shame of both because they both play to um, our value based on our body image. I hear you. Has there, what kind of studies are there around this? Cause I feel now that you're saying this, it makes complete sense to me. And I just wonder mm -hmm. what's, what's, is there a science behind this? Have they studied this? Absolutely. Um, I, I just became certified in, in applied positive psychology earlier this year and vitality, you know, how you view your body and how you take care of yourself and how you embrace your sexuality have such a huge impact on how you feel in your body. And if we always feel uncomfortable, unworthy, unlovable, we're going to try to find ways that make us feel better. And that creates a lot of food addiction. It creates a lot of, um, you know, shopping addiction. It creates any, all sorts of ways to try to soothe the discomfort, the emotional and the physical discomfort that we feel when we hate our bodies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So the show's about money. We haven't really touched <laughs> on it yet. I mean, sometimes I wonder, maybe I should just do a show about other things because that's the, the which is kind of fun with this podcast we end up talking about so much else besides money well i have to say the self-worth question mm -hmm. that comes up for women in relationship to their physical appearance is so 
huge. And there are studies that show, right, that people that are considered more attractive actually make more money Mm -hmm. over time. And how much we weigh, how old we are, how we think we look affects our confidence, which affects our ability to ask for a raise, go for the promotion, step out and take risks in the workplace. So I think these things are connected. Absolutely. Health comes up a lot on this show and well-being. Well, what is your financial philosophy, Alex? I I have no idea what you're going to say, but you know, <laughs> I'm curious to know your money mantra. Hmm. I invest in myself and I encourage others to do the same. Now, I do have a retirement account. I do for sure. <laughs> but I have invested over and over again in my education. You know, I... I'm not just a certification junkie, but I actually really see like positive psychology is the next wave of mindset of health and well-being. And I want to be in on that. And I know that by going back to school and spending four grand on a certification, six months of education, that that's going to help my business and it's going to help me in the long run. So give us a specific example of that. I know you just mentioned you were, you got certified uh, in a particular, what was it again? Um, uh, certified in applied positive psychology. Applied positive psychology. So mm-hmm. how has that in some ways, like wh- what's the, how, what's been the ROI on that? If you <laughs> were able to measure it. Well, I've incorporated positive psychology interventions based on real scientific data into my programs. Like I have an eight week cravings cleanse that people come to and it's all functional nutrition based. It's, you know, the foods to eat to help your body heal and have the energy that you want. And the mindset, like we were talking about before, the mindset with food is such an important part of transforming how you eat and relate to food that I had to infuse something that was science-based, psychology-based. And that has been amazing. I've made six times more than I invested in that certification program just in my last launch of the cravings cleanse. Wow. Yes. Because I think that it just substantiates what you're saying and it just validates everything that you're saying even further. Um, and some people just need that in order to, to kind of get over the, any, um, uncertainty they may have about whatever you're offering them. Correct. Yeah, they love it. And a lot of the women that choose to work with me are super educated, mm. PhDs, multiple masters, they want they the run proof. companies, they want something that really works. So I got to keep up on my knowledge. Yeah. Especially, I don't know if you feel this way, but in the world of coaching, mm-hmm. it's, there is a bit of dilution in the, in the world of coaching. I think everyone wants to be a coach is coaching, but only certain people are really going the extra mile to deliver, not just feelings and thoughts, but substantiated evidence behind those feelings and thoughts. Absolutely. That's what I loved about this positive psych program, that it's really science-based. Yeah. Well, what would you say is your uh, greatest money memory growing up? How did you learn about money as a child? Mm -hmm. How, what was your exposure to it? Wow. You know, this really goes to the heart of my relationship with money. This is a tough one. Um, my mom who just passed away a couple of years ago, she went into bankruptcy twice And when she passed away, she was in like $80,000 in debt. Um, And I remember when I was about 11, we were at the grocery store and I asked her loud enough, not on purpose, but loud enough so that the cashier could hear, do we have enough money for the food? 
And my mom was livid. She was so angry with me that I drew attention to the fact that we didn't have enough money. And the, I, I carried around this kind of fear and guilt, like, oh, like talking about money and scarcity is like scary and don't do it. So money became kind of scary for me. And I always had enough. I always, I'm, I'm good at making it, but I wasn't really good at saving it. And I think growing up with a mom who had her own money issues, and again, the two bankruptcies, I just had this really complicated relationship with it. I thought, well, I don't understand how it works. So I'm not in debt. I've paid off all my debt, but I haven't saved a lot of it. So it had a big effect on me. Yeah. Growing up feeling like you can't really talk about money, especially in a household where there is this level of uh, scarcity, the sense of scarcity. I can only Mm -hmm. imagine. So now as an adult, how do you reconcile that? Well, I, it's taken a lot of work. I've put a lot of work and time into changing that framework and it's still a process. But I remember when I bought the book, uh, your money or your life, which came out decades ago, but but it really transformed how I thought about myself with money. I realized, oh, like I know how it works. I may not understand derivatives, but I know how to like balance. Don't worry about understanding derivatives. <laughs> it's better that you don't understand derivatives, okay? <laughs> but I, I, you know, I paid off all my school debt when my first book came out. Um, you know, I consistently pay off my credit cards. Like I don't have any debt. That alone that alone makes me kind of an outlier in America. I have a retirement account that makes me an outlier. I'm like, wait, maybe I do know money. It's Mm -hmm. just this old, old story from when I was a kid that we don't get it and we don't have enough of it. Change your story, change your life. Absolutely. Failure, speaking of bankruptcies and starting out feeling intimidated about money. As an adult, would you say you had a financial failure of sorts and how did you work your way out of it? Oh yeah. Gosh, where do I start? (laughs) Um, you know, I've been in business for myself for about 14 years. And over that time I have invested a lot of money back into my business, you know, website redesigns and training programs, et cetera. So there were times when I would spend many thousands of dollars on something that I thought would have a big return on investment and it either didn't move the needle or it just flat out didn't work, you know? So there've been times when I spent a lot of money on something that I thought would bring my business to the next level that just didn't. And, you know, specifically like working with a coach and who, after a couple of years, I realized like, wow, we really do not have the same vision in mind for what I'm doing here. And I always learn something from the people that I work with, but sometimes you get to the point where you realize this isn't, our paths need to diverge now. It's time to move on. And, you know, I try not to look at those things as a total loss or as a failure, just as a learning process. But sometimes you go, oh, man, I wish I had that $10,000 back. Yeah, that would be nice. But (laughs) honestly, I don't know any entrepreneur who hasn't had that path, you know. Yeah. And I, including myself, I have just even recently, it happens, you know, I think it was Barbara Corcoran who said that when she was starting out her business, sometimes you just have to throw money at things and you don't, you hope for the best. Right. Um, It doesn't always work out in your favor, but it's sometimes you have to take these risks. And you do. And I, here's the other thing. I'm really the first entrepreneur in my family. 
So I didn't have anybody to tell me that this was okay, (laughs) that you're going to lose money sometimes. It's going to be all right. But I've since learned I have mentors. I have good friends who are entrepreneurs in their own right. And I'm like, okay, I know Richard Branson has lost millions of (laughs) dollars. It's going to be all right. Yes. Billionaires declare bankruptcy and then get back on their feet. When it comes to success, you've already mentioned a couple of examples, paying off your student loans with your book advance, getting the book deal. Uh, What would you say, though, is your so money moment, Alex, a time when you just experienced such financial greatness that you felt really proud and, uh, I don't know, just was probably the the number one moment financially? Wow. I mean, paying off my school loan was huge. How much was that? Um. Oh, well, I've done, oh, I've done it twice. Oh, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I could remind you. Yeah, thank you. So I paid off my, you know, my four-year University of Oregon loan that first time. That was great. And then I went back to culinary school right before I met Morgan and we made Supersize Me. I went to my dad and I said, dad, I need to go to culinary school. Like this is my path. And it was, I said, can you sign on another loan for me? I need another loan of like $16,000. And he said, you know what? We believe in you. We believe that you'll pay us back. And when I paid that loan off again, I was so happy to call my dad and say, hey, I paid it off again. And, you know, it was just a great moment. Yeah. Being able to pay back your parents uh, certainly goes down in the books. (laughs) What would you say is your number one financial habit that you have that helps with your with, uh, you know, the, the fact that you're able to stay on track with your money, save well, invest, et cetera. So with my fiance, Bob, who is awesome, we have monthly money dates and I got to say financial transparency is so sexy. So, <laughs> I love it. it really. What do you do on these dates? So we have a shared bookkeeper who's one of his oldest friends. And we get on a conference call, the three of us once a month. We go over both of our personal expenses and then my business expenses. And it's total transparency. We have our goals in mind. She knows our goals. We talk about what's going on. We adjust things. It's great. It's challenging sometimes, you know, because sometimes there's months when I overspend. I'm like, oh, God, got to rein it in. But yeah. they're non they're not judgmental about it. They don't shame me. They're supportive. It's great. And good thing that you catch it that month as opposed to six months later, you've been on a spending spree and not really conscious of it. Mm-hmm. At least when it's every month, you can rein it in easily, more easily than uh, the damage is only so much, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying right. to say. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, Alex, you've been really great. I want to end here with some so money fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won Powerball over a hundred million dollars. The first thing I would do is. <gasps> oh, I would take Bob and our, my son Lakin and go on a big snowboarding vacation over Christmas. Nice. Where do you guys uh, ski snowboard? I have to go back West. Ugh, I live on the East coast now. It's so horrible out here. Like, please take me to California. (laughs) Yeah. I heard that people go out there. I've never skied out West. So someday that's on my bucket list. I'm a total snow snob now. It's terrible. (laughs) Well, at this rate, I don't know if we're getting any snow on the East coast. It's like 70 degrees in November. What's going on? It's a little scary. Let's go to Switzerland, you and me. I just won Powerball. I'll take all all of us. All right. Everyone on the show and even the audience. (laughs) 
One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Oh, I know. I've listened to your show, so I know I'm not the first person to say this. <laughs> but the twice a month um, housekeeper that comes in. I love her so much. I know. It's, 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 there's something that happens to me mentally that when I walk in my into my house and everything is where it's supposed to be and mm-hmm. there's a certain nice uh, – like ammonium smell that's going out throughout the house, <laughs> you know, it's probably killing my cells, um, my brain cells, but it's so awesome. And I, it's short lived because by like six o'clock that night, everything's a mess again, but it's, <laughs> it's like a, an hour of peace. Is that the same with you? It is. It's beautiful. You walk in and it's like a sanctuary mm-hmm. and I just want to like sit on the couch and not touch anything. <laughs> I want to go like dress up. I have to like, I feel like I have to play up to the the cleanliness of the house. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's a popular answer for a reason on the show. One thing that I splurge on lots of money that I would not do it any other way. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money, but you know what? It's worth every penny is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's two things. One is groceries and the other is books. What are you reading right now? Oh my gosh, 18 things. I cannot stick with one book. I'm reading Come As You Are, which is a a women's uh, uh, health and sexuality book. It's amazing. Uh, I'm reading Soul Craft about this, uh, you know, how to like use nature as your spiritual practice. Um, I'm using, I'm reading Stand Out by our friend Dory Clark. Oh yes. Dory's been on the show. She's fantastic. She is. It's how we met. Actually, she connected us. Okay. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. Oh gosh. I wish that I had learned how to be a regular small increment saver. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, over time, little bits add up to big change. You know, I wish I had learned that earlier because now I'm doing it. I'm like, dang, I wish I had done this when I was like 25. (laughs) Yes. I know. One thing I hear often from, uh, Anybody really who is no longer in their 20s, like, I just wish I had started at some point, even if it was just $25 a week, you know, which I definitely had when I was in my 20s. I think because we think saving money means saving big chunks of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of every paycheck, and that can be intimidating. I don't have the money, so we don't even do it. But uh, right. yeah, I hear you. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Oh, so this is something else we do. We have a monthly family donation night. I love this. Tell me everything. Yeah. So the three of us sit down. So my son is almost nine and Bob and I sit down and we rotate and one of us gets to pick every month and we have a hundred dollars for the family and we pick a charity and we go and we like learn about it online and we talk about what it's going to do so that we feel like we're like consistently donating to the things that we care about, but that he, my son is also getting in the habit of knowing like, you know, we're not rich, but we have a lot. And there's a lot of people out there who can use just a little bit of our help. And he, he usually picks like animal sanctuaries or, you know, save the tigers, that kind of thing. Whose idea was this? It's genius. I can't remember. I think it was Bob's. I'm glad I'm marrying him. He's super smart. I love Bob. <laughs> I love Bob. Uh, no, I'm going to do this now. I think this is brilliant and just a, a wonderful reason to bring the family together. I think that's yeah. just lovely. I love it. Okay. And last but not least, I'm 
Alex Jameson, I'm so money because... <laughs> I'm so money because I'm out of debt and have a nice IRA account. Finally. Woohoo. I'm, I'm so money because I'm so boring, but you know what? I'm going to retire well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really? I mean, these are the things that we have to do. That's not sexy, but you just got to do it, people. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And then get, it on with the, get on with your life as you wish. Yeah. Love I it. I love it. High five virtually. Okay. Thank you so much, Alex. Truly, it's been awesome to connect with you. And I look forward to hanging out with you in our neighborhood because we're both Brooklynites. Thank you. I can't wait. Thanks for having me on. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Alex Jameson, her website is alexandrajameson.com. She's also on Twitter at Delicious Alex. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. All this and more at somoneypodcast.com, including the transcript and comments. And they're also at So Money Podcast. You can click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions for the Friday episodes. Hope you enjoyed the show and hope your day is so money. So money.